and welcome to the Healthcare Improvement Podcast, brought to you by Healthcare Improvement Scotland, an organisation that enables the people of Scotland to experience the best quality of health and social care. I'm Leona Armstrong. And I'm Kenny Smith. And on today's show, we will be talking about a topic that is high priority within the NHS, adverse events and how we learn and share what we learn from events that impact patients, families and carers. We'll be joined by our senior reviewer, Moira Manson, who will talk about the ongoing work to standardise how NHS boards categorise adverse events and how to ensure that the right level of review is carried out. We'll talk to Alicia McGrewer, NHS Lanarkshire's Risk Management Facilitator, about compassionate communications training. We'll also speak to Dr Jim Ruddy, Deputy Chief of Medical Services at University Hospital Monklands, who will talk about his experience of engaging with the families of those affected by adverse events. To understand what an adverse event is, and why they're important, we spoke to Moira Manson, senior reviewer in our Quality Assurance Directorate, who is leading our organisation's work to improve adverse events reviews. Moira, what is an adverse event and why are they important to how NHS boards learn and improve? Thanks, Kenny. I'll try and explain that as easy as I can. Um, adverse events is quite a complex area of, of work. Adverse events is the term we use in Scotland. could also be known as patient safety incidents, clinical incidents. That's some phraseology that's also used. There's different levels of adverse event in, in Scotland and they're categorised on three levels. It generally means an adverse event happens when harm has been caused in a healthcare setting. There's different levels of harm and some of that harm, unfortunately, often results in the death of a patient. So we have the level one, which is a significant adverse event review. That's from the most serious level of harm. And then we have the level two, which is a more localised review process. And then we have level three. So I think that's the easiest way to possibly explain that. Are adverse events something that are inevitable in healthcare? That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think we'll stop the fact that adverse events happen. Um, they continue to do so. I think what we can do is learn from them through reviewing these incidents and sharing the learning from them. Really important to put actions in place to mitigate the risk and to stop them happening again. So to prevent reoccurrence really is, is what I'm saying here. Um, we're looking at things like a list of never events. That's a really interesting concept. That's some things in healthcare that should never happen. But if they were to happen, that would trigger a significant adverse event review. For example, uh, a wrong site surgery, an unexpected death. There's also lots of factors that contribute to adverse events. For example, levels of staffing and other human factors issues that we're exploring. Can you explain how we're helping NHS boards, Moira? Sure. Uh, we have an adverse events network. It's a group of people represented by all NHS boards in Scotland. This includes the territorial boards as well as the national boards such as the Ambulance Service, National Services Scotland, NHS 24. It's made up of uh, clinicians and leads, governance and risk advisors. 
and we meet every two months and we discuss progress of our work. We work very much in collaboration. We don't sit here in isolation in his and produce information and get people to comment on it. We deliver and develop things together. These are the people that manage adverse events out at the board, so it's really important to work with them. There's some key things that we're doing at the moment, um, revising our framework, standardising our report, approach to reporting, and we can't do that um, without, without their help. They're a really, really engaged group, and we're overwhelmed with the support and volunteering for the key pieces of work that we're doing. That's interesting there because you just mentioned that the current framework is under review and being updated. So how did we decide what needed to be changed and what will we be changing? I think the key thing here is there's a lot that we can learn from the pandemic. Um, Boards for some time have been under considerable pressure and I think the pandemic was a a big contributor in that. We've realised that a more streamlined approach is needed for managing adverse events. There's also lots of parallel review processes that happen alongside adverse event reviews. We have significant case reviews. We have the Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal and the reviews that happen in terms of of that. We have death and prison learning audit reviews that happen. So we need to align better parallel review processes and avoid duplication. There's gaps in the current framework Um, where there should be a a bigger focus on patient and families and psychological safety of staff. So that's lacking and that needs to also be addressed. And there also needs to be adequate training for staff who deliver the framework. It's okay having a good framework, but we don't have the tools and mechanisms in place to train and support staff to deliver the framework. That is a concern. So that's a real focus of why we need to update the current framework. You've been telling us all about this amazing work, but I suppose from a Healthcare Improvement Scotland point of view, what is it that we fundamentally want to achieve? We want to ensure that patients and families and staff are at the heart of the review process. So really a real focus on people who experience adverse events and staff who manage them and are involved in them. That has to be integral and threaded throughout our processes at every level and every stage. We know that there's lots of information that patients and families can bring to a review process. And if we're not speaking to them at the earliest stage, that's information that we can miss. And we need to really build mechanisms of support in place for patients, families and staff who experience adverse events because it's traumatic and it's upsetting and it's life changing for many people. It's fascinating there. You mention how people who have suffered as a result of adverse events have been involved here. So you've talked a lot about the importance of involving families and carers, but that must be incredibly sensitive work. And at the same time, how are we helping our professionals who are trying to navigate this whole process? So we knew anecdotally uh, from what we heard that patients and families needed to be more involved in the review process and that there were current issues with boards engaging with patients and families. It was just difficult to do. It was a challenge. There needs to be time for that to happen. What we decided to do just to evidence that a bit further was to talk to patients and families who'd experienced adverse events. Um, 
it was difficult to do that. It, it was a privilege to listen to patients and family stories about really difficult events that had happened in respect of healthcare. Um, we're really thankful to the people that took part in the research. And that consisted of semi-structured interviews, which we recorded and we produced a piece of research that, that was published in the British Medical Journal. I think what's really important with, the, with this research is what we then do as a result of what we heard. So NES have developed uh, an education tool called Compassionate Communications to support staff at boards. Um, these conversations are really challenging. Clinicians are trained in their world to have transactional conversations with people about what's happened in their healthcare. But we felt from what we heard, what was lacking was the use of compassion and understanding in those conversations. So my early stage um, feedback from that has been really positive and that work will continue and that will be central to the, the framework process going forward. It's great to hear that there's been so much involvement from people, particularly on our side as well. So Moira, a final question for you. Once the framework has been revised, what are the next steps when it comes to improving the adverse event review process? So there's a lot happening at the programme at the moment, but I think what I could probably break it down to is some a few key things that we're doing at the moment as well as the framework revision. So as I said earlier, uh, boards report uh, on their systems when adverse events occur. At the moment, it's a non-standard approach as to how they do that. We've started a two-year programme of standardisation to align how boards report. It's a challenge because boards are quite comfortable with how they do things. So we're working towards that national uh, process. What's really important in that work is having a national agreement of which adverse event types lead to the commissioning of a significant adverse event review. That's really important for equality of treatment of a patient throughout Scotland, that we have the, the, the same review process for an event that happens across Scotland. We're also developing a community of practice interactive website. That's on MS Teams. Uh, the team have been working really hard, self-taught, learning how to do that. We're working in a, a virtual world these days um, in, in our role on the programme. And it's a collaboration with our boards to have a, a system and a site that people can go on, access a toolkit, engage with other boards, ask questions and create that kind of forum for sharing information and learning and building up that network of support. So those are probably the key things alongside the framework revision. Thanks, Moira. Absolute pleasure chatting with you. To give you a better understanding of how adverse events can affect families and patients, you will now hear direct feedback from them, which we gathered for a study looking at what matters to those affected when it comes to adverse event reviews. Please note the following segments have been read out and do not feature the voices of the participants themselves. I was never asked about what mattered to me or what type of method of communication worked best. If they had, they'd have known I wasn't interested in the serious adverse event review their long-winded report or monetary compensation. I just wanted answers and to move on. The lack of communication led us to feel like a statistic rather than a person. It was such an impersonal approach. Perhaps we have a bit more thought about how families should be engaged with. It might only need a short conversation. Is there anything we need to know? Anything over and above 
what we have gathered that we, the NHS, need to know. They would have been able to gather from us very quickly that these are the key risks. I think they could have drawn a lot more information from us, but basically that is lost because it's all very transactional. Here is the response. This is what we are doing. Some participants even highlighted that had they been properly listened to, the NHS might have fewer legal cases to face. I just feel that the medical profession is so scared of being sued that it closes down. If they listen to people and try to rectify the mistakes in a way that people actually wanted, there would be less compensation and it's less confrontational. In contrast, when families and patients felt that they were included in the review process and felt that their concerns were being heard, the feedback was much more positive. So I was heard and it it made me feel safe going forward in the future because I'm likely to have this issue again and I'm likely to be seen by the same healthcare professional again. So it made me feel incredibly safe and it made me feel heard and I was like, actually, that's all I want. That's all I need to feel safe going forward. How are these real stories from real people changing what NHS boards do across the country? To find out, Leona spoke to Dr Jim Ruddy at University Hospital Monklands about his experience of talking to patients and families of those affected by adverse events when handling a significant adverse event review, also known as an SAER. Thanks Kenny and welcome Jim. It's great to have you here. Adverse events, it's its a really sensitive subject. Can I ask you what an adverse event review involves and why they're important to the healthcare system? So an adverse event review is a review that has been commissioned by the team um, on the site that's carried out following events that we perceive that could have led to harm or as the worst outcome to the death of a patient. I think For us, the process involves picking up the event first of all. So we need an open and frank reporting system that allows us to pick up these events. They can't just be hearsay. Secondly, the commissioning team then has the opportunity to get experts involved. So there might be an area that has an expert in it, whether it be surgery, emergency medicine or critical care or a nursing background. Once we've brought that team together, they are tasked with the uh, responsibility of having a detailed trawl through all of the information that's available. And as I say to my trainees, you know, that usually is the documentation in the case note and any associated uh, documentation. So if it isn't written down, it didn't happen. And we can't use that side of things to to refute claims if it goes to litigation or other things. But once we've got that deep dive into the event, we are then allowed to, as the commissioners put this up toward members of their uh, senior medical management team with a causation code that will say whether it directly caused, whether it possibly caused, or whether it didn't have anything to do. There are gonna be some instances where the events might not have contributed at all, um, but we try it with commissioners to, to minimize those. Um, and, and for me, the important things are that we have looked at the case in detail. So you've got that deep dive into the all of, all of the information. But it's, we're a complex system. It involves human health, uh, human actions in the delivery of healthcare. 
So therefore, for us, the most important thing after recognizing there's been an event is to actually get learning from it. And our, our key findings are usually backed up with a set of recommendations, and it's those that are the most important thing for the SAER. Great. Thanks, Jim. I can imagine that communicating compassionately is really important when feeding back to people who've been affected by adverse events. You've obviously done a lot of adverse event reviews. What would you say are some of the key elements of being able to communicate compassionately? Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, the process of the SARs was never complete when we didn't involve the family early on. Uh, I've been in my role for the last couple of years as the deputy site chief. And it was one of the things that Alicia had brought to our attention, who's our risk facilities facilitator manager. But on discussion with Alicia, we know that we get families in at the end of the process, but it was both our feelings that we had an opportunity to get, actually get them in at the start of the process. You know, we know that an open, collaborative, person-centered review of anything will enhance the team's ability to learn. It has a number of positive outcomes for both the family and the healthcare system that we're working in. We can't actually minimize that ability to apologize. You know, that power of the apology is so important to these patients or their relatives. What they get is a very clinical report that's got a lot of medical jargon in that is set up to actually hone in on issues. What we can do when we actually meet with the family early on in this process is just say we're sorry. We've recognized that there are failings in the system. We acknowledge that and we give them the opportunity to add to our agenda of the failings that we recognize by allowing them to maybe come up with things that we haven't thought of that we might view as important, but actually are important for that family in getting through that time. Yeah, it's fascinating what you're saying, Jim. What advice would you give to younger clinicians coming through the system who are learning about adverse events in a different way to how you've learned about them? Yeah, I, I think it's actually not just specifically for adverse events. I think it's the communication skills that, that we have as doctors. You know, I, I, I frequently when I'm asked to, to give tutorials about communication or chat to junior doctors or even junior consultant colleagues, you know, you go to medical school, you're a lovely person, you've ticked all the attributes to become a doctor and you know absolutely no medicine. And throughout your training, uh, you get to know more and more medicine and you become the top of your game eventually as a consultant. But during that time, there's a natural erosion of your people skills. You become much more clinical, much more task focused, and it's inevitable that maybe your communication skills can suffer. So at that point, I think it's good to reflect that actually the things that are important to us might not be what are important to a family, such as keeping them updated, telling them bad news at an appropriate time, giving them a chance to actually process some difficult information. It's a really interesting subject. So with that, we'll come on to my last question. We've got two key elements here. We've got the compassionate training that's been made available to anyone within the NHS. And at the same time, we've got the revision of the framework. From your perspective, what are you hoping these two things will achieve in order to improve how we conduct adverse events? 
again, you know, I refer refer back to what I said earlier. I think although we're using the framework of adverse events, I don't think this is specific for adverse events. You know, I did a power of apology course that was led to complaints. But actually, the transferable skills, and I would say to anybody who has the opportunity to go on the website and look at that compassionate training, to really sign up for it, and most importantly, reflect on how you are perceived. Are you perceived as a compassionate, caring individual in what is a caring profession? Um, for me, being involved in SAERs with the family at an early point has been quite a humbling experience. You are actually being brought along at the very early stages of what for some people has been one of the most traumatic events of their lives. And it's a privilege to be involved in that. It's a privilege to listen to them. It's a privilege to hopefully help them along that journey and go through the stages of grief if it's been the worst outcome for us, which is a death that was unexpected. But it's just that ability to be able to say to them, we're sorry. And when you do that, the vast majority of the patients, families that we've talked to are not looking for a scapegoat. They're not looking for a person to blame. They're actually just looking for some reassurance that this won't happen again, that someone else who might be in a similar situation might not be exposed to the errors that their loved one may have been exposed to. One of the important things that I've recognized on reflection that is allowing me to have such a privileged position on this patient and family journey is that it's an opportunity really early on to regain some of that trust that the family will no doubt have lost in us because they're getting a very cold report that is picking holes in the care that we've delivered. And it's only human to say, well, I don't want to go back to that system. So it does give us an opportunity to say, look, we're not saying that at the end of this first meeting with you, it's all going to be fine and dandy. What we're saying is, can we actually come along with you in a journey where I can try to give you reasons to build up that trust again, so that if you have need of our healthcare service, that you would actually embrace that and come to us uh, at a time of need. I think that's a really powerful message, Jim. We might be starting with adverse events, but communications that happen on a daily basis could be positively influenced by this work. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've heard from Jim about how adverse event reviews can be handled effectively and compassionately, but how are NHS boards changing their way of working as a result of their experiences, the reviews they carry out and the training they're receiving? To answer this question, I'd now like to welcome Alicia McGrewer, NHS Lanarkshire Risk Management Facilitator. Welcome, Alicia. I'd like to start by asking you about your role and how it connects to adverse event reviews. Thank you very much for asking me to participate. I work with one in one of NHS Lanarkshire's acute sites, and the main part of my role is to work with the senior management team to identify and progress significant adverse event reviews. And that means working with staff and families throughout the review process. I think one thing that's stuck in my mind is that unfortunately I'm not able to change what has happened in terms of the, an incident has occurred. 
But what I can do is be supportive of both families and staff so that that process is something that's helpful and in no way hinders whatever um, grief that they have or any issues that they are dealing with because of the incident. Mm -hmm. And that's a real privilege. We know that the framework is being revised. How do you think it can be improved? I think one of the important things that we've heard from families when we've met with them is that they do find the actual report very difficult to read. And you've got to acknowledge that it is going to be distressing because it's about their loved one and the clinical details of that is something that whilst we try really hard to put in explanation of terms, the actual format of the report is something that families really struggle with. And particularly there's causation codes at the very start of the report and the clinical understanding of those codes and the the family and patient's understanding are very different. They're coming from very different perspectives and it can be a real barrier, I think, to families, particularly it's on the front page of the report. So it's one of the first things that they see um, and they do feedback that they find it very, very difficult. It's interesting. We know that compassion and understanding play a key role when it comes to adverse event reviews understand you've gone through the compassionate communication training yourself. Could you tell me how did this training opportunity come about and what was covered in it? So I participated in the compassionate communication training um, following on from an ECHO community sem seminar which had looked at how learning from patients and families can add to the adverse events review process. But the compassionate communication training developed this and it was really powerful. It considered in detail the different aspects of adverse event reviews, looking at it from the patient and the family's perspective, but also from the organisation level and how staff are also affected by adverse event reviews. Staff are there to care for patients and they really feel when something doesn't go the way that they would wish it to go. And I think sometimes reviews have not been helpful in supporting them um, and how they have been feeling about it. But one sentence that really stood out for me in the training was it was feedback from a patient who had had to unfortunately participate in an adverse event review. And what she said was doing your adverse event review well and you won't have failed the patient or family. And that was really powerful for me because I, I really felt that, yes, I can make a difference to the patients and families as they go through what is a really difficult time for them and their loved ones. And Alicia, how has the training affected you or affected you in terms of how you communicate and conduct reviews? We were always interacting with patients and their families. Um, it tended to be at the end of the process. Um, with some meetings taking place at the beginning of the SER. Um, however, I came into post during the pandemic when changes in terms of we weren't having those meetings with families, um, even the ones that were being offered. Um, so I spoke to the senior management team and we really felt that it would be good to offer every family or patient an opportunity to meet at the start of the process. It's up to them whether they wish to take, you know, to take that up or not. 
But what we have found is that the patients and families who have participated in that early meeting, it has just started that relationship building. Um, and it also helps the follow-up regular contact, which and I, I now do on a monthly basis, um, which perhaps were more difficult calls for me to make because I just didn't have that relationship um, with the patient or the family. So in terms of the training that you've undertaken, can you think of three things that are key takeaway points that perhaps someone listening to this episode might find useful in terms of how they communicate both effectively and compassionately? I think as part of the SER process, we have a very set process that we follow, but patients and families have differing needs and we've got to listen to what the families want and how we can support them. Um, we also have to be open and honest with them. But I think the, the, most thing, the most important thing that we found is that communicating early and regularly with them really has made a difference in how families have then been able to speak to us um, at the, both the start and at the end of the, the SER review. Thanks, Alicia. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain to us how this process works and the benefits of going through the compassionate training. It's been really interesting to hear your perspective. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to this episode covering the work underway on adverse events. Join us next month when we'll be looking at frailty, how it affects people and what makes it a high priority across Scotland. In the meantime, if you want to keep up to date with our work or to get in touch with us, you can find us on our website. You can find us on social media on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. So until next time, we'll see you then. Music.